Somewhere, don't you know, in this community, there is a corny preacher standing up in front of his congregation and saying, it's ice to be with you. (laughs) But aren't you glad I'm not corny like that? I was watching from my office window from the third floor. I was looking down to see who was observing the orange cones out front. Many of you park on the old Canton, come in that way. We've got orange cones at different places. And I noticed a young couple, very handsome young couple walked in and she was dutifully obeying the the cones and walking around to be safe. And he was doing this, trying to lead her. That's a struggle for some of you young guys. See me later. You're trying to lead her, right? And you're you're like, let's go this way. And she knows better, right? And the, the gentleman stepped over the orange cones in defiance and guess what he fell (laughs) now do you think I laughed (sighs) I'm a pastor y'all I laughed because it was funny and I get what a rule breaker is I've got that bent up within me from my library and by the way we didn't have church last Sunday so I'm really going to preach today From my library, I just stole some books about church. Some books about church that I've accumulated over the years. You guys probably would expect me to read books about churches. You would want me to, right? Let me share with you a few of them. Viral Churches, The Emerging Church, The Emotionally Healthy Church, Church Unique, Emotionally Healthy Church. I've got two copies of that. Maybe I'm troubled. The Disciple Making Church, Breakout Churches, Comeback Churches, Doing Church as a Team, The Intentional Church, the Church of Irresistible Influence, the Connecting Church, Deep Church, Vintage Church, House Church, Monday Morning Church, and Spinoff Churches. Now, I look at that, and that's, by the way, half of them, half of the books in my library on churches. And I remember recently looking up on the shelf and thinking, man, it would be very easy to be confused. And maybe it's the same. Maybe you lead an organization. Maybe you're on a team and you really care. You want to advance it further. You want to make a profit and build people and do a variety of things. And it can be confusing because you, like me, can be overloaded with information. And to be honest with you, I'm a, I'm a reader. I'm a voracious reader. I've read a good number of those books. But I look at them on my shelf and I think, mm, there's a lot of different ideas about church. You and I, we have ideas and we have expectations. And as we begin a new year, I feel like it's incumbent upon me to share with you what I really believe that God is calling us to do, to be as a church. I was in the woods in a cabin in the snow this weekend. And there was such warmth around the fire and such warmth and inspiration and passion in the conversation with these godly men that I love, who love me and care about me. And I was so inspired that I I just, I, I drove away on icy roads yesterday. And I thought, based on what I've heard and based on what we're praying for and based on what I, how I believe God moved, I took what we talked about, took what excited us. And I want to present it to you this morning. And We're hanging on to a verse as we move into the year and into the future. There's a lot of different ideas about church. Not all of them are contradictory. But for Fondren Church as we move into our future, we want to be passionate about this phrase in the book of Galatians. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. 
And in the context of that, I don't have time to preach that verse, but in the context of that verse, it's Paul talking about the freedom that we have in Christ and how people, we tend to go back. We tend to go back to the way it was. We get excited at first and we go back and we go back into being enslaved to things and we, get to, we become very religious and we put structure around everything and we take the fun out and we end up missing the mission and we veer off track and we don't know what we're to be about. And here in the New Testament, in the early church, Paul is saying the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. And with that in mind, I want you to take your Bibles, if you have access to one, and turn to Luke chapter 7. Luke 7. If you have one in front of you, in a moment we're going to put the passage up front. And I left mine, excuse me, babe, I left mine on the front row. Luke chapter 7. And we're going to read in a moment verses 37 to 50. And look at Christ and faith expressing itself in love. Luke 7, 37. We're going to read a good chunk so you guys stay with us. Luke 7, 37. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at a table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owned 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little, and he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this even, who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. The setting for this story is Jesus, you probably picked, on, picked up on it, Jesus was invited to be an honored house guest at the home of a rich man, a very rich man. And it was customary in first century Middle Eastern world for the honored guest to be invited in and that person again custom different in our day I know but it was customary for that person to be greeted with a kiss to have their feet washed to have their head especially the honored guest the very honored guest to have their head anointed with oil and Jesus was dialed in Jesus was a smart guy you expect to hear that at church right but Jesus was dialed in he knew his culture and he was clued in he connected the dots he was not going to be an honored guest. He was not being invited there by this religious man to be honored, but to be humiliated. There was no customary kiss. There was no washing of feet. There was no anointing of his head with oil. 
And Jesus understands that something vastly different is at play here. The man, the wealthy man, his name is Simon. And Simon is a Pharisee. In the Jewish world at the time, there was a, a dominant religion, religious group that led things known as the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin was comprised of two dominant groups, the Sadducees and the Pharisees. The Sadducees were the very liberal of the religious people. They watched CNN. The Pharisees were, were, were crazy conservative. They were dialed into Fox. And can you imagine they didn't get along like in our day? The conservatives and liberals didn't get along like they do in the modern world with all of our achievements and advancements. But they, there was a lot of you know, just differences, a, a big chasm, a divide, a split between them. But the Sadducees, if you were a Sadducee in the first century world, you were probably born into it. It was mama and daddy and them that got you into being a Sadducee. You were born into it. But if you were a Pharisee, you worked your way to get there. In fact, you worked your way hard to get there. It required a lot of theological training, a lot of textual study and analysis, and un, just an unparalleled level of memorization to become a Pharisee. But, you know, we are, we have religion in our own hearts. And maybe for some of you, you can identify more with the Sadducees. You know, it's kind of just something you're born into. Your faith is really you paying tribute to your heritage. Not so much you being devoted to something that's captured you. There's something that's real and personal for you. And we probably have some Pharisees. If you have a, a bent toward being a Pharisee, you are a rule breaker. You go around the orange cones. You do what the church says to do. You do what the word says to do. You're very concerned about the rules and regulations, about the law. And you work hard to do so. A Pharisee, Jesus exposed them, were really known in many ways for laws over love, for rules over relationship, for guilt over grace. And here Simon, a Pharisee, invites Jesus in and the idea is to humiliate him. And then this woman, this woman, what do we know about her? She's a woman. There's an idiom in our day, it's offensive, it ought to be, that in our day it's popular to say that a woman ought to be seen, not heard. And back then, the, the, the idea, the maxim, the principle was a woman should neither be seen nor heard. Not in formal, public, important settings. And she's a woman and she's a prostitute. And back in the day, you were a prostitute for one or two reasons. Either one, your husband died, you, you lost your husband in sickness or he died away at war. Or your family in extreme financial duress sold you to pay off significant financial debt to get ahead monetarily. But we don't know. We don't know the situation for this woman, but we know, we know she was a prostitute. And this woman, what seemed so awkward, her plan was to sneak in and to slip past. And what we do know is that this woman had heard Jesus preach before. 
She had seen him love people. She had seen his miracles. And she followed him. And she had this idea. Even though it was a forbidden place for her, she crashes the dinner party. And the Messiah, the rabbi that they were missing, she's caught up with him. And her thought is this love that he preaches is different than religious love. And can you imagine her hurt? Think with me for a moment. The level of hurt. How many men have hurt her? What was the situation that drove her to live this way? To have to live this way? She barges in. She breaks down. When's the last time? When's the last time you were so happy it brought you to tears? And here this woman, this odd juxtaposition, this oxymoron, if you will, you see tears, but happiness, forgiveness. Could it be true? This love that this Messiah preaches, could it free me? Could I get a clean slate, a fresh start, a new beginning? Is this love real? Do I have to be a product of my past or can I walk into an exciting, adventurous future that has love and forgiveness and it can be real to me? Different. Different love that Jesus has for her. Think of Simon. Think of what his love looked like. Distant, formal, stiff, unwilling to open up. No real happiness bringing him to tears. A ho-drum type of experience. And here he is, like a mannequin. And I was thinking about it this morning. Praying for today, thinking of this story and thinking of the craze of 2016, the mannequin challenge. You know, I thought about playing the Black Beatles song and us doing the mannequin challenge to see how still we can be. But in some ways, churches today, way too many churches, right, are doing the mannequin challenge. And we think it's better to be contained. And here in this story, Jesus demonstrates how it's better to open up. And those who observed this awkward scene, those who saw this extravagant display of worship, most, I would say, placed value on the jar of perfume before it was broken. But Jesus places value on the jar of perfume after It's broken. What honors Jesus are the folks who are desperate and who are hungry and who are thirsty. It's why Jesus didn't just talk in language of knowing and believing, knowing and believing, knowing and believing. He spoke about hungering and thirsting. Now, the Sadducees and especially the Pharisees lived in that knowing and believing world of correct theology. 
And like us today, they had their studies with homework and workbooks, and they had lessons and lectures, and they had sermons with notes so people could fill in the blanks and follow along with the outline. All good things, but knowledge itself doesn't lead to intimacy. Knowledge is a good thing. Borrowing from Susan and I and our own marriage, I know about my wife. I know what shampoo she uses and what sushi she orders. I know what makes her laugh and makes her cry. Knowledge is important and knowledge goes along with intimacy. But you can have knowledge without intimacy. And Jesus speaks of a life that's broken, a life that's open, a life that's spilled out. It's what he values. When you were born, you were you. If we could look at those circles. When you were born, you were you. That's good stuff, isn't it? You drove through some ice to hear that. You were born, you were you. Think about you. Think about young you. Think about how true you were to you. Now, you had an imagination, a fertile mind and an active imagination, and you pretended to be other people, but you were you. But then you really began. Get ready, kids, parents, grandparents. But then you began. You started saying things and doing things and thinking things, and you added something to you. You added shame. This is the hidden parts, the private matters, the secret things. And here's what I know to be true. We all deal with shame. We deal with it in a variety of ways. But for you and I as humans, we either hurt people or we hide. We hurt others or we hide in our shame. But in our shame, we add to that this protective shell called persona. The problem with persona is that we learn, some of us very artfully, we learn to manipulate, to control, and to deceive. Because we want, right, we want to be, we want to own it. We want to feel like we're in ownership of our lives. So we we hide and we hurt others. We fault find And we blame shift. And suddenly, not suddenly, let's say slowly, that's really the way it works. Slowly, you equate who you are with your persona. And we spend endless amounts of time and energy and money just wanting others to know our persona. But what do we do? What do we do with that shame? What do we do with the hidden stuff? What do we do with the private parts? What do we do with the secret matter? Romans 3.23, a bunch of you know this one. For some of you, it was a memory verse since your childhood for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Here's what Paul is saying there. You know what? We're all the same. We're all the same. It's why I love coming here. It's why I missed you last week. Because when I come in here and I see you, And I glance around and I feel this feeling every single time in worship that I am not alone. 
because I have sin. And this sin hurts. This sin hurts me. This sin that I have, it hurts others. And we stand and we sing and we speak and we talk to one another. And we are just here. And there's something so common. And you remind me when you attend worship, when you join with me, I am not alone. This sin, this story can be troubling to us because we see a religious person and a sinful person. But we're all the same. Do you, do you hear what Jesus said in Luke seven forty seven? Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. Hey, let's just do an exercise. Let's demonstrate. If you join with this woman, if you can identify with that, just raise your hand. I'm raising mine now. But if you can say, hey, my sins are many, raise it high. If you can say, my sins are many. And this is why we come here. Some of you came to see a grandbaby dedicated. I know that. But <laughs> that grandbaby is full of sin, right? <laughs> but we're better we're better if we can say this. And we're better if we can help each other just kind of chip away and crack at that persona. Because we've all got sin. I've been, I want to finish reading this. Therefore I tell you, your sins which are many are forgiven for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. You know, throughout the Gospels, you know what Jesus praises in other people? Faith. Faith, when he sees a display of faith, when he sees uh, in this story a woman who was subject to so much scorn and ridicule and rule-breaking and social awkwardness, and she gets past, and she demonstrates a life spilled out and broken. And Jesus says, what the world values and what religion values, no, 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 that's not what I value. It's not the perfume in the jar. It's not living a life that's bottled up and buttoned up. It's a life that's open, a life that's poured out and spilled out. Shattering persona. Getting into the places of our sin and our shame. One of our babies dedicated his name Lennon, is that right? Where's that family? Uh, Beatles fan, are you a Beatles fan? Right there, Alex and Julie Pierce, is that right? Beatles fan, is that why you named your son? Okay, y'all pay attention. Let me put this guy out, John Lennon. Are you serious, by the way? All right. It's really cool. Sometimes it's just, you know, it's just a softball right over the plate. When John Lennon officially left the Beatles, he became more public than ever about his intellectual struggles to believe in God. And John Lennon, in the midst of fame and fortune, became, by intention, he became a reclusive hermit in New York City, Upper East Side, Park Avenue apartment. You know what he did? He stayed home by himself and he watched hours upon hours upon hours of TV. And a fascinating to learn that one of the things that John Lennon got into is Billy Graham Crusades. 
And John Lennon wrote Billy Graham a bunch of letters. Billy Graham became John Lennon's pen pal. And in one of his letters, John Lennon wrote this to Billy Graham. Money can't buy me love. Great people quote themselves, I guess. <laughs> Money can't buy me love, it's true. The point is this, I want happiness. I don't want to keep on with the drugs. Explain to me what Christianity can do for me. Is it phony? Can Jesus love me? I want out of hell. Faith. What can Jesus do? What can, he, what can he do in your life? This desire to be known for who we really are. To, for people to know the secret things. Not everybody, but some people. And not to live a life hiding or lashing out and hurting others, but going to Jesus. Can I tell you, because some of you need to hear this this morning, with your pain, run to Jesus. And stop worrying so much about what other people think. Have faith in his love, and hear me, in his forgiveness. It can be so freeing for us. It's the only antidote. It's the only answer. Can we go back to that quote that I missed? Joel Green, a New Testament scholar, says this about this woman. Letting her hair down. Did you read that and hear that in the passage in Luke 7? Letting her hair down in this setting would have been on par with appearing topless in public today. She didn't care what people thought. And Jesus longs for you and I. He longs for us to be people who are desperate. For people who care so little about what other people think. And so much about what he can do. I would say to you, for you personally, for people all around this room, don't be Simon. There's five things I submit to you from this story as I read it last night. Five things when I'd say don't be a Simon. In Simon, we see lips that won't kiss, knees that won't bend, eyes that won't weep, hands that won't serve, and perfume that won't leave the jar. You, you as a person, don't be Simon. And if you're not a Simon and I'm not a Simon, others around us are not a Simon. We can live a new and different community. We can grow and become a people who realize the only thing that counts is faith as it expresses itself in love. For you note takers, I'll give you something before you go today. Contrast from this one story Simon's community with Jesus' community. Guys, we've got to grasp this. No matter the books that we read, no matter the different type of churches we aspire after, no matter what inspires us, we need 
to see this. And we need to know this. In Simon's community, it invites people we like or who like us or who impress us. In Jesus' community, it welcomes all who are what? Who are thirsty. In Simon's community, it judges secretly. In Jesus' community, it blesses openly. Simon's community conceals the truth self. Jesus' community discloses the true self. Simon's community withholds hospitality. In Jesus' community, it extends hospitality. Simon's community, boy, they got this one right. In Simon's community, they answer correctly. But in Jesus' community, they live worshipfully. In Simon's community, you thought we were done. (laughs) They love little. In the Jesus community, loves much. You see pride versus humility. You see feeling entitled versus feeling gratitude. You see labeling the others instead of seeing the others. Did you capture that in the story that Simon had a house guest that he had not even looked at? And Jesus says, now he did that part of like, hey, you've answered correctly. Like, he's speaking to the Pharisee, right? He was keeping his attention, giving him a little bit of praise. You answered correctly. Way to go. You've answered correctly. But you didn't see this woman kneeling here. There's anxiety and tension in a Simon community. What if I'm caught? What if I'm found out? What if I don't get ahead? What if I don't impress people? What if I don't get invited to the dinner party? What if I'm never an honored guest? What if I have the certain honored guest and they're not impressed with me? So much tension, anxiety. Can you feel that? And Jesus, in the end of this story, he says what? Your sins are forgiven. And he says, go into peace. Taste the peace. Experience it. Be blessed by it. Bask in it and extend it to other people. And isn't that what people who know they've been forgiven do? If you have fallen, if you are hiding, if you are walking in shame, think of this jar of perfume. And the church has got it wrong so often through so many years and so many different ways and expressions. But Jesus values the jar broken and spilled. A Simon community traps us in our past. A Jesus community releases us into our future. Faith. Love. Faith to come to him. Faith to risk. What are you risking? I didn't say, do you have any New Year's resolutions? That gets old and stale, right? What are you risking? What do you plan to risk? What will we as a church risk this year? What ways will we look to grow our faith? And I pray that it's a faith that expresses itself in love. It's the only thing that really counts. Would you bow? And as you bow, our worship team is going to make their way up. Would you offer your own prayer to him? I'll give you a moment.
Would you ask him to increase your hunger and thirst for him? Your desire to grow your faith. Would you offer him this morning? What you've been afraid to bring to him? Whether you're a more liberal Sadducee or more conservative Pharisee. Maybe your religious ideas and notions about God need to be shattered. And shame can express itself in a variety of ways, usually through arrogance or inferiority, one of two extremes. We can look down on others and, like the Pharisee in this story, think that our sins are not many. In fact, maybe you raised your hand when the preacher asked if your sins are many. You raised your hand just so you wouldn't look bad in front of everybody else. Maybe on the other end, it's inferiority. It's you feeling trapped in something that you're so ashamed of. Can I tell you, that's why we are here. You are not alone. God, give us faith. Give us faith in you. Faith through our pain. To see you as you are to see what you value. And Lord, knock down our pride. The eyes that won't shed tears, the knees that won't bend, the hands that won't serve, the perfume that won't be spilled out. Lord, work in us. Where we put rules over relationships, law over love, guilt over grace. God, would you work? Would you work in Fondren? Would you help us in rows on Sunday morning, in circles throughout the week as we go, as we live and move and have our being? God, would you help us be people who grow in faith and who express it in love?